All right, hey everybody, let's uh, make our way back to our seats as we get transition into the Word today. So good to see everybody here. Got folks home from college. Uh, how many of you parents are glad your kids are home this week from college if they went away from college? Some are like, they're going to cost me more money this week than they were when they were at college. I don't know. <laughs> Well, it's good. it's good to see you guys this morning as we enter into the week of Thanksgiving. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in the Old Testament today in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, it's about a quarter of the way into the Old Testament, a couple hundred pages in. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is where we will start today. As we are continuing this series that we started last week, uh, called Together, and uh, really we're just trying to make it an aim of ours as we enter this holiday season. As Pastor Lindsay pointed out, the, the uh, name of our Christmas series is called Uncluttered, as we try to scale back in the sense of all of our busyness and make sure we put our focus on the right things and um, as best as we can, and, and that's what this whole series is about. You know, Facebook has, done a, has been doing a challenge called the Decade Challenge. I've seen a few of you participate in that. And um, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Any Facebook, Facebook world people? few. Um, and uh, anyway, they're doing a, a Decade Challenge. And so they show a picture from 2009, and then they show a current picture in 2019. Um, I don't have a picture uh, to show today. I showed a picture last week. Uh, I, and so I don't have a picture this week, but here, here's what I want to want to say about the about the decade challenge is I was I was looking at some things uh, pertaining to the to the church overall in the, in America, and here's here's a decade of difference from 2009 to 2010. More people attend less church than they did in 2009. How about that? There are less Christians in America now than there were in 2009. Yeah. This series, Together, nothing like opening up with that stat to quiet everybody down. This series, Together, is about drawing New Life Church together to refresh our hearts, our minds, and our spirits around what the church is really all about and I know we don't have like a beautiful building per se. I'm thankful for a location. I'm thankful for the campus. I'm thankful to have what we do have. But it is so much more than a place that we come to gather. It is, a, it is who we are called to be. And it is a community of faith that we are called to engage in. Amen. If we lose sight of that, friends, then the trend will carry on. More people will continue to attend church less, and there will be less Christians down the road. If we treat church as a place we go to, some membership role our name is on, instead of the bride of Christ, the army of the Lord, and the body of Christ that we are called to be, because there is so much more life, peace, and strength that happen when we are together than when we are apart. And so that's kind of the theme behind this whole series. Let's look at our text today. We're going to look at this, um, 
this love-hate relationship between Saul and David. And they had a crazy relationship. And, and we're going to look at that today and what it, what it entails for us. Let's look in chapter 18, verse 6. It says, When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the giant Goliath, women from all over the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Well, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands, and next they're going to be making him their king. And so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And the very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. And David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. And he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Verse 12. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Skip over six chapters to chapter 24. Later on in the life of these two people, 24 verse 1 says, After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi, and so Ch Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel, went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. And it was at this place where the road passes some sheepfolds, and Saul went into a cave to relieve himself, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord the king. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the King, and attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So, so David restrained his men, and he did not let them kill Saul. Let's pray. Oh God, we are humbled by you, and humbled by your presence. And Lord, may we... As we open your word, may it penetrate our hearts. And Lord, I know you have something you want to teach us, something you want to speak to us, something you want to impart in our life in a way that would reshape us, in a way that would bring healing to our hearts, and in a way that would cause our life to be full of peace. So help me now preach this word, not out of myself, but out of what you, the Holy Spirit, can do. 
We honor you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And then David said, the Lord knows I should not have done that. You ever found yourself in that kind of position? Or maybe saying, well, the Lord knows I didn't mean to do that. Lord knows I, I sure didn't mean it that way. You ever found yourself saying something that you later regretted? Or perhaps you didn't even realize that what you said or you did actually caused an issue with some other people. You ever said or did anything in the moment of fear or anger? Or maybe just, just misunderstanding? Maybe you've been on the receiving end of someone else's comments or behavior and it's left you feeling hurt, wounded, upset, offended. If not, most of us probably have been there, uh, and there might be some who were living in that moment. The question is, what do we do in situations like that? What do we do in, in places like that of life? How do we live without hurting other people or living as a hurt person? Does anybody just enjoy living as a hurt person? Anyone just get off on, hey, I love to hurt people. Most, if not all, it's not intentional in that way. That's not really all the motivation per se. There's a deeper issue. It's the deeper issue inside the heart because our heart is not at peace. You know, we know this. Hurt people tend to hurt people. And if we never get healed from being cut by other people, we'll bleed on people who did nothing to us. It's good to have our, mm, that's good chair filled again down front. Aren't you glad for these young people in college who are like, you know, I'm, I'm on a break, but I could be anywhere I want else I could be, but I'm at church. Amen? That's good. It's good to have all of you, all of you here. You know, that was Saul and that was David's relationship. Let's, let's just kind of go backwards a little bit and kind of visit their background a little bit. Saul... Saul came from a very wealthy background, came from a very wealthy family. In fact, it was said of Saul that he was the most handsome man in Israel. How would you like to have that, fellas? The most handsome man in Jackson. <laughs> if Jackson did the magazine's sexiest man alive in Jackson, Tennessee. Come on, you know you, some of you look at those magazines. I know. I saw you. But it was said he was, a, he was, I almost said he was a sexy man. He was the most handsome man in all of Israel. And he stood, it said he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. You know, we may stand out, but that doesn't mean we'll always be able to stand up when it counts. And Saul didn't go asking to be king. David didn't go asking to be king. The people of Israel wanted a king. And God set it up with Samuel as to how, the prophet Samuel, as to how it should be done and the process in which it should go about. And when the time came for Saul to be recognized as king before Israel, it said that he was found hiding in the baggage. This man, who was the most handsome dude in all of Israel, stood head and shoulders above anyone, about to become the king of a nation, Hiding in the baggage. 
You know, what we don't deal with in our obscurity will creep up in our notoriety that will try to disqualify us. You know, ultimately, Saul, just when it came down to it, he was just unable to do what the Lord asked of him to do. He, he, he became king. He did some great things. He fought some good battles, won some of those things. But when it came down to just flat out obeying the Lord, Saul thought he knew better than what God knew for himself. And as a result, it ended up being the, the, the end of Saul's reign as king. And, and the goat carries on as he's continuing to live and be king. David, you know, gets anointed to be king, and there's this process of time before it all happens. Here's the thing. Saul's life, he was ridiculed, he was uh, riddled with insecurity. We all have a measure of it. We all have, we, we all battle some of it from time to time. But Saul, his life was just riddled with insecurity because instead of finding his identity in the one who made him he lived a certain way in the eyes of the people. He positioned himself to be a certain thing in front of people, but on the inside, he lived fearful. He lived afraid. In fact, it led him to disobey God, and it caused him to live very shameful, very, a very jealous life, and um, a very afraid life. Even though he was the most handsome man in all of Israel, stood head and shoulders above everybody, had the, had the position of the most powerful person in the nation as king, he lived shameful, he lived jealous, and he lived afraid. He lived tormented because he would not deal with his heart. And in his heart, it was full of jealousy. David, though, now David came from a farming and a, uh, a sheep breeding family. That's where he came from. He was the youngest of eight brothers. In fact, he was initially first overlooked to be the next king when Samuel came to his father Jesse's house to anoint him under the Lord's instruction. Samuel was looking in the natural and looking at the oldest, looking at the tallest, like Saul, looking at the one who, who had the look but didn't really have the goods. Didn't have the calling. And that's what was going on. And you know, here's the thing. We may not stand out at first, but if we are committed in the secret places of life with honor and integrity and honesty, God will enable us to stand up when it counts. We may get overlooked and overpassed and, 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 and doubted about a lot of things in life, but if we'll just keep at it, keep pursuing and being honest and keep having integrity with our life, let our yes be yes and our no be no, and our eyes stay focused and our hands stay at good work, there will come a time where God will, will look upon us with favor and will cause our life to stand up. And we won't have to live like Saul did, jealous to make our life happen. We'll let God make it happen. You know, David was found serving the sheep of his, of his father out in the field. He was caring for something that wasn't his own as though it was. You know, God takes note as to how well we treat the resources that don't belong to us, but belong to other people. Think about your jobs. Think about where you're at. Think about what you do. Think about how you treat the resources of other people. 
Do you ask to borrow something from somebody? Do you return it in well condition or do you return it all jacked up and beat up and broke? God takes note as to how well we treat the resources of other people. David fought and protected and paid attention to the details of his father's sheep like they were his very own. So God was testing David's heart in the secret place and preparing him for the spotlight in the public realm. So many of us want to be noticed. So many of us want to be heard. So many of us want to be applauded. So many of us want to be known. So many of us want to be appreciated. But there is a right way and a wrong way about going about these things. Saul and David come from two different types of backgrounds. And as a result of how and what was, went on in their life, it created two different types of people. David was confident in who God made him to be. You know, David, while out in the sheep field, he was quietly and secretly and silently perfecting his skills. The staff as a shepherd, the slingshot of a protector, and the harp as a psalmist. David had all those skills, but David did not brag about himself. David did not boast about what he could do. He was quietly and secretly just doing what he was called to do, doing what he was told to do, treating it like his own, and all the while he was, his gifts were getting perfected. David also then continued to position himself in humility before God and as a result, David's heart was being prepared for the purpose that God had created him for one day to be the king of Israel. One who was, it was noted for, David had a heart after the Lord. And so this relationship between these two, if we pick up with it in chapter 18, and there's this, this it's like this cat and mouse game. It's this hide and seek game that Saul and David have. Saul initiated it. David kills Goliath the giant in front of all of the nation's army of Israel, in front of all the army of the Philistines, and they overtake them. David did that, not because David went there to look for a fight. David saw that no one was doing anything, and he's like, somebody's got to stand up. Somebody's got to stand up. And David killed Goliath. David's name was praised. Uh, Saul put David in charge of a whole lot of things, and David ended up being successful, the Bible says, because the Lord was with David. And all this time, Saul is looking at this young buck, David, and he's like, hey, I don't like what he's about. It ain't going to be long before these people are going to be chanting his name to be the next king. Little did he know it was prior to the army and the, and the battle against the giant that David had been visited by the Samuel the prophet to be anointed to be the next king. In fact, prior to that, Samuel visited Saul and said, look, man, you disobeyed God and God was sorry that he ever made you king. It ain't going to be long, it be, won't be too long before you're done and someone else will come in. Saul didn't know at the time who it was. And David, just doing what 
he thought was the right thing, and God kept putting him in the right places and doing these things. And it said that, that, that Saul viewed David with suspicion, with contempt, and with jealousy. In fact, it says, and then the very next day, Saul raved with jealousy towards David like a madman. You know, what we don't tame today will rise up more ferocious within us tomorrow. But I am thankful for the Lord's mercy. I am thankful for the Lord's patience, his long-suffering with us. But it won't be long before he'll, let, he'll allow what is going, the raging war within us to get out to the outside. If we don't acknowledge it, put it under the control of the Holy Spirit, and have a repentive heart, and change our mind before... He'll let it come out, and it came out in, in Saul's life. Saul, he was just overwhelmed with jealousy, the man was. Here he was, the most handsome man Israel, the king, head and shoulders above everybody, and he had jealousy. Seems to not make much sense in the natural. He had everything he wanted. He had everything he wanted, but within he was losing. He was absent. He was, he was missing something inside. You know, and then it goes on to tell us these things here. It says that Saul had a spear in his hand, but David had a harp in his hand. David had a harp, and Saul had a spear. You know, Saul was about, throughout that entire context, this back and forth, this in and out, this love-hate relationship with David, you see that Saul was really a person of revenge, and David was a person of peace. And in these last few minutes I have, I want to I just kind of zero in on that, zero in on some characteristics of people who, who have spears, people who live with spears in their hearts, people who live with who, who, who don't deal with the spears in their heart, and people who, who allow the harp in their heart to get bigger. And, and so you got revenge and you got peace. And we're going to look at some characteristics of these two things today. And so I've titled today's message, Together We Are People of Peace. We are people of peace. Here's a question for us. Do we want to be people who seek revenge or do we want to be people of peace? Characteristics. You guys with me? Okay. If you're offended, then you got some spears in your heart. If you're like, I didn't come to church to hear that, then you didn't come to church to hear truth. Characteristics of people with revenge, characteristics of people with peace. Revenge. People tend to live to inflict pain on people on purpose. People of revenge tend to live to just inflict pain on other people on purpose. They just, they just do it. They just find ways to just be mean. Just find ways to just be cutting. They find ways to jab and stab and Dig. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. Don't want the person next to you to think it's them. But people of peace tend to live 
this way. They tend to just live to please God, and they don't really worry about what anybody else is about. In other words, they don't base their life on what everybody else is doing, whatever promotion so-and-so's getting, whatever raise so-and-so's getting, whatever acknowledgement somebody else is getting, whatever accolade somebody else is getting, whatever position somebody else is getting, whatever praise somebody else is getting. They don't care. They're just living their life to please the Lord. They're just trying to stay saved in their own lane, and they're not worried about what the other person's doing over here behind them or in front of them. And when it gets down to it, who cares? It's their life, not yours. Not mine, but how about it? We don't like other people getting ahead of us half the time. And that's a brutal place of life that we all have to let the Holy Spirit crush and destroy. Because if not, it will crush and destroy us. Here's another characteristic. Revenge. People of revenge tend to let offense grow and fester, and they struggle with forgiving other people. They just, they're going to hold it. It's a grudge. By golly, they deserve to be punished. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. You don't know how they treated me. And they hold it. And then and they, as they hold it, it mushrooms. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Instead of getting better, they stay bitter. And Jesus came to set us free from that stuff. All of these changes don't happen just because, man, I'm trying to make it happen. It happens when we truly let the Lord of our life change us. When we let the work of the Holy Spirit do his thing in us. When we let, let the perfection of Christ reign in our life. Doesn't mean we got it, our act together every day. Doesn't mean we're perfect in this thing of peace. It just means the direction of my life is going to be in peace. But there are people who just continue to hold on. And friends, you think by holding on you're hurting them. You're really hurting yourself. Holding unforgiveness towards somebody else does not lock them up. It locks you up. It locks you up. And the sooner and the quicker and the more we forgive and let go, the freer our lives will become. People of peace tend to confront offense in their own heart and they deal with unforgiveness quickly they they take the they take ownership and they say you know it hurts it's not an it's not a it's not that you just are trying to forget that it hurt it hurts being hurt by other people hurts being wounded by other people hurts all these different things that other people do to us it hurts and when you forgive it's not saying you're not acknowledging your hurt you're opening up your hurt heart to let the healing power of God come in. And so when we deal and confront offense in our heart and bitterness in our heart and unforgiveness in our heart, we're letting the work of God move. We're letting it move to change us and free us and lighten us. Trust me, 
You don't want to go another moment. You, don't, you do not want to go another day harboring unforgiveness and offense and bitterness towards anybody else, even if it was not your fault. When you forgive, it does not mean that you can't have safe boundaries. You can have safe boundaries and still forgive people. Okay? Now, if it's your spouse, then those boundaries are going to get real close. That's a whole different measure and level of relationship that we'll have to talk about another time. Here's another one. I only have 800 of these things, okay? I'm, t- I'm kidding. I only have 700. <laughs> Just a couple more. Here it is. People of revenge, they tend to talk negatively about others. They share gossip, not the gospel. I don't know why we do it. Probably because of what Saul dealt with, insecurity. Jealousy, it breeds that. That we tend to talk negative about other people. And we just run people down. Just run people down. And it, 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 and we, 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 we try to justify it, I think. We try to justify it. And we think we're trying to protect it by saying, you know, if I say this about them, I'm, I'm disguising it under, you need to really be praying for them. Because does that really matter? Does that really work that way? The people of peace tend to look for the positive in other people and they try to have positive conversations about others. I'm not talking about real heart-to-heart things that you know you got to talk to somebody about that is just not good in their life. There's a time, there's a place, there's a moment for that that you need to, we need to have those confrontational moments, those profrontation moments, conversations where things aren't right in that person's life and you know you, you, you got to talk to them. That's the biblical mandate of Matthew 18. You got to deal with that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just in general, people who, are, who just live with jealousy and insecurity and out to get theirs and just want their thing to happen tend to be negative about other people. So you need to ask yourself, if people are talking to you a lot about, in a negative way, about other people, you need to ask yourself, why do they feel so comfortable doing that with me? I think the Holy Spirit would say, I triple dog dare you, like the Christmas story, not sticking your tongue to the pole, but sticking your tongue out and sticking up for somebody else. Amen? Amen? I think the Holy Spirit would triple-dog dare us to do that. When we happen to be around somebody negatively running down somebody else, just running them flat down. Would we stand there and take it, or will we stand there and stick up for them? Even if we don't really understand all of it, we'll just have to say, you know what, I don't think that's a very positive conversation, godly conversation. If you really have a problem with that person, carve some time out and set some time up and go talk with them. Here's the last one I have. We're talking about being people of peace. This is Thanksgiving week. You should have had a Thanksgiving message prepared. 
Believe me this, if we'll get our hearts right and keep our hearts right, we'll have a thanks-living life. And we can't keep blaming our insecurities and our frustrations on everybody else. We've got to take some ownership of ourselves. People of revenge tend to have a relationship dash instead of a relationship circle. What I mean by that, there's, they usually just can only have one or two people in their little space. And when others try to get in, somebody always gets cut out. If you're the kind of person that can only have one or two, I'll give you three at the most, friends, I think you got problems. You need to ask yourself these things. Because the last time I checked, the church was not meant to be a group of click, but to be Christ to a broken world. And we can't be that if we're all contained up in our own little, little dash. Here's the thing. People of peace tend to have healthy relation, or healthy relationship circle. And they tend to only have a few burnt bridges. And usually those bridges weren't caused by them. It's just because the others just really couldn't get along. They wanted their cake and they wanted to eat it too. I know, man, this is like such a revved up message. It's like you're ready to like take on the world. Here's the thing, man. We all, we all deal with, and, and none of these apply to anybody here, okay? I know we're talking about other people outside of this church. <laughs> we're, I'm just preaching a practice message. You know, I know we don't, we don't ever have to deal with anything in our hearts because we got it all going on. We, we all have to deal with some cantankerous, ornery people, especially when we look in the mirror sometimes. And I don't, I don't, I don't like having this story. I like to think I was like David all the time. Why is Saul after me? Why is he trying to kill me? I'm just trying to live my life and do my thing. But David did. He had to deal with his heart. See, before ever before David became king, David had to be confronted in his heart. He was in that dark cave where Saul came in and David cut the corner of his robe. David could have taken him out. And David thought, I'll show him. Cut a piece of his robe off. And it said immediately David's conscience got him. He's like, Lord knows I should not have cut that corner. Lord knows I should not have said that about them. Lord knows I should not have went to that person and spread a rumor. Lord knows I shouldn't have got about 12 people in my corner who would rally with me when I hated that other person. David had to deal with that. And he dealt with it by stepping out into the light. And he said, Saul, hey, Saul. Saul looked around. He's like, is that you, David? He's like, it's me. David's like, why are you chasing me? 
Why do you hate me so much? Why do you not like me? I didn't do anything to you. I didn't ask to be in this position. Because look, I hold a piece of your robe. Look, you sure do. I could have killed you. In fact, all my men in this cave with me said, Kill him. Take him. You deserve it. Take vengeance in your own hand. And I told him, You know, the Lord has convicted me and said, I should not touch the Lord's anointed one. It was the Lord who put him here. How dare I try to take him out? like look I could have done it but I, I, I just didn't because God wouldn't let me and now here I am confessing out in front of you in the light I don't have anything against you Saul I know you hate my guts I know you think I'm worthless I know you think I'm just after your job and after your praise and after your position I'm just trying to live I'm just trying to get by I just wanted you to know I don't hate you I don't hold anything against you far as I'm concerned, this is over. And Saul looked at David and he praised him and he's like, you know what? You're a better person than I am. Like, yeah, no doubt. You're a better person than I am. In fact, God's with you, David. I knew it all along. This just goes on to prove it. You're going to be a great king. He goes, will you just make me this promise though? When you become king, will you not annihilate all my family? And David's like, I'll make you that promise. Absolutely. I will not kill any of your remaining family. And one final test of David's heart was found years later in 2 Samuel 9. Saul had died in battle. Saul's son Jonathan had died in battle. And David ask one of his servants he's like is there anybody in Saul's family still alive because I just want to show kindness to them I don't want to cuss them out I don't want to kill them I just want to be kind to them and they said you know what there is one is Saul's grandson Jonathan's son his name is Mephibosheth Mephibosheth, though, he's crippled and lame. He lives out in a barren part of the pasture called Lodabar. He's living off of crumbs. David's like, go get him and bring him from the pastureless place to this palace. Because I want to be kind to him. And so they bring him in. Bring him before the king. Now, you got to keep in mind, when a king who fought and overtake, overtook another king, they had every right to annihilate the king and everyone in his family for the threat of uprising and overturning his position. And so Mephibosheth comes in thinking, this is the end of my life. I think I was doing okay out in Lodabar where I had nothing, but I was alive. And there I am before the king, and he bows before the king, and the king's like, Mephibosheth, yeah, I want to show you kindness. 
You don't want to kill me? No, I just want to show you kindness. In fact, I'm going to restore land to you that belongs to you and your family. And also, you're always going to be able to eat with me at my table. Saul was uh, dead. No more. David could have forgotten the promise. David could have went on with life. But instead, God wanted to show David, I can really heal a heart that has been hurt. I can really heal a heart that is hurt. David probably could have been carrying some wounds all these years later. And he finds out the grandson of Saul, the king, was alive. And he shows him kindness. What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of church do you want to be a part of? And help create in this city? Recently had a short conversation with a member of our church who said, you know... I'm so, how they put it, they, they said, I, I'm just so taken aback about the treatment of this church that when I was going through a real hard time, that no one has gossiped about me. And he said, I know people, I know people know. Nobody's gossiping. That's a, that's, a good, that's a good thing about this church. And it is a good thing about this church. And we have to continue to protect things like that in our church. Because if we take things for granted, pretty soon things change. Right? I think that is an awesome testament about our people, about you, about this church. That's great. Because it shows us that together, we really can be people of peace. We really can be people of peace. We can let all our personal preferences go to the side. And we can take up our cross and follow the Lord and love people in spite of whatever. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. By no stretch of the imagination am I saying it's easy to love people who don't like you or who aren't like you. But that's the kind of people God calls us to be. Amen? Doesn't mean we're perfect at it. It just means each day I get up, I'm going to set my aim and my direction to be a person 